Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Genesis chapter 18, beginning with the first verse. Listen, will you, for the word of God as it's proclaimed through these words of Genesis. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant." So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, oh, yes, you did laugh. (laughs) The word of God for the people of God. About a week ago, Jack and I came home late one afternoon after Prince had been alone for a while. We opened the door for him, the back door to the backyard. But on this occasion, though he, he huddled by our feet, looking more cautious than you would expect of a four-month-old puppy who's been by himself for a while. After a few minutes, we knew why. A whole flock of cedar waxwings, probably a hundred of these birds, came out of nowhere and landed in the canopy of the huge oak tree in our pretty small backyard. These sleek, crested birds swooped through the tree, plucking the berries from its branches, 
They came from every direction. The air was just this swirl of birds flashing red on their wingtips and a little bit of yellow edging on their tail feathers. For no more than five minutes, all you could hear was this whoosh of wings. And then they were gone. On this particular day, I was troubled. Maybe I was thinking about the United Methodist Church. (laughs) Maybe I was thinking about the violence in New Zealand. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember arriving home that day with a heavy heart. And then there was this gift. Our backyard became an aviary. And I was reminded of the nearness of God, the beauty that exists in our world, the creativity that abounds, the same kind of creativity that reaches into chaos and brings forth something new. And I felt a wave of calm that was not there before. It changed me. Today's story is not about something very extraordinary. It's not a larger-than-life story, like the burning bush or the parting of the Red Sea or Jesus walking on water or a visitation of a flock of waxwings out of nowhere. It's about something much more mundane. But it has the same capacity to change us. The theme of today's story is about the simple virtue of hospitality extended to the outsider, to the stranger, and the blessing that can result in that. This week I reread some of Diana Butler Bass's book called Grounded, Finding God in the World. She explores the shift that we're seeing from this emphasis on God as distant and transcendent to experiencing God in the world, in the mundane things, believing that everything is saturated with the presence of the sacred, that God is near to us in ways that we have yet to embrace. One locus in which we experience God in the world is our neighborhood. Now, in ancient times, the neighborhood was the tribe, right? There were clear boundaries around who was in the tribe, who was a neighbor, and who was outside the tribe, who was an outsider, the other. The tribe was based on a culture of, or on culture or religious beliefs or purity laws. But we can also find those stories in ancient times that emphasize a wider circle of relationships. Relationships that are based on hospitality or based on mutual respect. These relationships transcended the boundaries of race or culture or religion. Time and time again, we see Jesus pushing the boundaries wider to include everyone as part of a universal neighborhood. Nonetheless, we humans seem prone to living in clusters of sameness. 
according to economics or according to culture, communities that exist sometimes behind an invisible fence of like-mindedness. Butler Bass goes on to suggest that the problem is not the reality of these tribes per se. She says the difficulty arises when strong ties and like-mindedness mutate into exclusion and conformity. According to British political scientist Sue Goss, the future of meaningful neighborhoods will be that of open tribes. Open tribes. Now, these neighborhoods may have um, all the very human hallmarks of like-mindedness and similarity, but will also accentuate the abiding value of hospitality. What would it look like if we practiced hospitality, care of the stranger with food and shelter, knowing that at some point in the future we may need that? It's what Goss calls the long, swooping reciprocity that works over time and through trust. Don't you love that? The long, swooping reciprocity that over time works through trust. It's not like this is a new concept, right? This is, there's nothing really extraordinary about what I'm saying here. It's not like a burning bush, but it can have extraordinary consequences for our spiritual journey. Abraham and Sarah were practicing hospitality in the story we read this morning, a story that is central not only to our story, Christian story, but to Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Here's what happened. Abraham and Sarah, in obedience to God, had left their homeland in search of the promised land. They set up their tents in this place called Mamre, near the oaks of Mamre, which it turns out was a Canaanite holy place. That's about as other as you can get from the tribe of Judaism, the Canaanites. It was in a place where they often had rituals, pagan rituals and festivals. So one day, three men passed by near their tent. Now, it's quite possible that Abraham, not knowing that this was going to be a visitation of God, I mean, Abraham didn't know that, so it, it's quite possible that he understood that these travelers might be coming through Mamre in order to worship the shrine, at the shrine of the sun god, which was located there. They were outsiders. The purity law, laws that governed Hebrew life would have discouraged or even forbidden him from coming in contact with these men. They weren't part of his tribe, but in the story, Abraham ran to meet them. He bowed down. He begged them to stay for a while and to rest and stay for a meal. When I served as associate pastor at Arapahoe United Methodist Church years ago, we spent four weeks um, down in Rio Bravo, Mexico, in partnership with the Rio Bravo Rotary building a clinic there for a very poor community that had never had health care before. It was the first week of this project, and we were still waiting for this truck that had all of our supplies. 
which was mired in the bureaucracy of moving goods across an international border. Uh, it was a bad plan, all to be, all, you know, it was just a bad plan to take our own supplies into Mexico. Bad plan. But we spent most of that first week waiting for the supplies to come. And so my job was writing letters, translating letters, letters, delivering letters, getting all the proper stamps and seals. And our 20 adults who had taken a week off were idle and frustrated, little discouraged. All I wanted to do was work, just build something, do something, get, get something done, right? Get some results, mix stucco or something. The next morning, finally, we were all set to begin our work. But we got word that we, the women on the site, were invited to a breakfast put on by the Rotary Club wives. So here we are in our work clothes, baseball hats, tennis shoes, no makeup. And we knew we were in trouble when 10 or 12 women showed up in heels and Sunday clothes. <laughs> did you ever really not want to do something? I did not want to go to breakfast. And I was really wrong. They took us outsiders to a restaurant in Rio Bravo, brought us this wonderful meal. But they did more than just feed us. They really fed our souls. They offered us the blessing of their friendship. Across the language barrier, we couldn't understand each other, but through our gestures and through our broken Spanish or English, we were able to share the story, stories of our lives. It was an experience that was holy. It was sacred. We all hugged each other as we left, and those of us who went back to the worksite realized that we were going back to a much less important task of getting something done. Sometimes hospitality is the door through which blessings enter. Abraham opened that door as he invited strangers to rest and be refreshed with a meal. He offered them a little bread and water, but that became a feast of the best he could offer freshly baked cakes, curds of milk, and a young calf, tender and good. He became the servant standing by while they sat down to eat. It was an abundant offering because that's what hospitality is. It's like, it's like the pound cake that Kay Warwick makes. <laughs> right? It's this unusual awesomeness that's offered to a stranger, right? Out of this lavish experience of hospitality came the annunciation from God to Abraham and Sarah that they would parent a child, Isaac. And Isaac would become a great and mighty nation of righteousness and justice. Now, you and I both know that while hospitality in the time of Abraham and Sarah was simple, we don't live there anymore. We live in a world where we lock our doors, burglar-proof our homes, and make sure we don't cut anybody off driving down the tollway. 
In our world, the ministry of hospitality involves some risk. It was on our third trip down to Rio Bravo when we experienced that risk. The clinic was beginning to take shape, and we wanted to invite the community in to to see it, to see what we were doing. And then tools began to disappear. Now, this community was desperately poor. One day, a mother and her young daughter came by and asked for a cup of water. When we returned to offer this gesture of hospitality, a backpack and all the money inside it was gone. Well, you know what happened after that. We walled ourselves off. Nobody was invited into our work site. And we became fairly inhospitable to the stranger. We felt safer, but we also felt a little uncomfortable. And we wondered, what does this say about us? There's an old, old story that you may have heard before, but it expresses the dilemma we often face when we extend hospitality. Once a monk sat on the banks of the Ganges River with one of his students, and as they were sitting there watching the water flow by, a large scorpion made its way along the steep banks and fell into the water in front of him. Without hesitation, the monk reached out and pulled the scorpion from the water and set it down on the bank, but as he did so, it stung his hand. Several minutes later, this same scorpion fell again into the river, and it started to drown again, and again the monk reached out, and again he was stung as he set it on the steep bank. A third time, the scorpion fell into the water, and a third time, it was retrieved by the monk, who again was stung, with same results. And the student could no longer stand it. He said, Master, why do you keep saving that beastly scorpion from drowning? Can't you see that it's just going to sting you? Yes, I know it's going to sting me, laughed the monk. It's the nature of the scorpion to sting but it's my nature to save. It's a challenging thought. Hospitality is not always a simple, mundane virtue. It challenges us. And it will challenge us in a world that's filled with scorpions. There's plenty of them out there, but hospitality is what we do. It's who we are as followers of Christ. It's our nature. And sometimes it's where we encounter God. And there is this abundance of blessing. May it be so. Amen.